Luke chapter 15 is, is where we're going to be this, this morning. So several years ago, Sydney and I, we'd gone over to one of our good friend's houses. We were like eating dinner, watching football, kind of hanging out. There were, there were like eight or uh, 10 adults there, plus all of our kids, which they outnumbered us at least two to one, maybe three to one. And so if you've ever been in one of those scenarios where you're in a small ranch-style house in Creve Hall with 10 of your friends and 20 of their crazy kids, you can kind of imagine today. And so we were in one of those moments, and the kids were just like running through the house and Nerf guns and outside doing all this stuff. And we get about an hour into our time of hanging out, and one of the, the women in the group, she just started kind of casually asking. She said, hey, have any of you seen my youngest son? She starts asking if we had seen, we hadn't seen their youngest son, just kind of went back, you know, there's a lot of kids, so he's probably downstairs playing somewhere. So she goes downstairs and finds her other son and says, hey, have you seen your brother? And she comes back up, this moment of casual curiosity becomes just this moment of just like parental terror. She's like, she's like, my son has gone missing. I have no idea where he is. Can we find him? And we're like, man, this house is 1,400 square feet. How could we have lost him? So we start searching the house. We go out into the yard. We're looking for him. And then I get in a car with one of my good friends, and we start driving around the neighborhood just looking for this kid. And I don't know exactly how long we were gone. It felt like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But I get this phone call from Sydney, and the moment I picked up the phone, I could tell it was good news. She said, she said hey, we found him. And just this like spontaneous joy just kind of erupted out of both of us that were in the car. We're like, oh man, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we found him. And then I said, hey, where'd you find him at? Like, where, where was he? And she said, this is the craziest thing. We're all out searching in, in the yard and in the neighborhood, and I just had this intuition. I think I need to go back to the house and look. She says, I went back to the house and I'm like searching in all of the rooms under the beds and there's this one little closet in one of the bedrooms. I opened up the door and there he is in the closet eating a snack and hiding, being really quiet. And I don't know if you've ever felt like a failure as an adult, but man, that was one of those moments where we're like, how do we lose a kid? And he never even left the house. He went missing and the whole time he was in the house. And I kept thinking about that, that story, you know, this month we've been going through Luke 15. And it starts out like this. Look at verses one and two with me. You see the audience is kind of unfolding. Jesus is speaking. He says, now there are tax collectors and there are sinners who are all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. And so you, you kind of get this scene. It's a crowded room like this. Jesus is teaching. It says there's sinners and tax collectors. In other words, there's people who self-identified they self-identified as not being in good standing with God. They knew they were addicted. They knew they couldn't break their habits. They knew they'd been running from the Lord or whatever it was. Like they kind of self-identified as sinners. And then it says there are also Pharisees and tax collectors. These were kind of like the, the spiritually elite of the day, the, you know, the, the pastors, the theologians, you know, the, uh, the, the elders at the church you grew up in, the deacons in your parents' church, whoever you just kind of imagine. These were the people that at least on the surface had everything together. And so Jesus looks out at this group and he says, he says, let me sum up the story of humanity really simply for you. Here's the story. Humanity is like a child that's gone missing. And God is a father who in his love is willing to do whatever it takes until all of his kids come home. That's the story. And so he says, let me explain to you how humanity goes missing. And he starts telling all these kind of stories, these metaphors to give them a picture. He says, sometimes humanity goes missing like a sheep. You get distracted, you get deceived. You know, sheep don't rebel. They don't pick up drinking habits. They don't run away from home. You know, sheep get distracted and then they look up one day and they're not where they used to be. They're not where they want to be and they have no idea how to get home. He said, some of you have gotten lost. You've like wandered off. You just got distracted by life. He said, some of you are like coins, 
that have been dropped. He tells this other story of a woman that basically loses the diamond out of her engagement ring. She drops one of her coins from her dowry price. This coin gets dropped in the shadows and she starts to look for it relentlessly. And Jesus said, some of you got lost because you wandered away like sheep. Some of you got lost because somebody dropped you. You got sexually abused by your uncle when you were a kid. The neighbor exposed you to pornography. Your spouse is verbally abusive. The boyfriend in high school hit you. The word from your family just inflicted a wound on your soul and you found yourself in the shadows. And there in that place of the shadows, you started chasing things that were not of the kingdom of God. He says, some of you have gotten lost like sheep who have wondered. Some of you have gotten lost like coins that have been wounded and dropped. And he says, some of you are like that rebellious son that we looked at last week, that famous story, the prodigal son who didn't wander and didn't get wounded, but just chose, hey, I'm just gonna rebel. I'm just gonna run. And so Jesus is telling all these stories and you can almost imagine the crowd. They're sitting there and these self-identified sinners going, yeah, we get this. We've wandered. We've, we've been wounded. We've, we've, we've run away before. We understand how it is that we've gotten here. And you can almost imagine the religious guys and gals in the room going, yeah, we understand how they wandered and how they were wounded and how they rebelled. And Jesus says, wait one minute. Let me tell you one more story. He says, let me talk to those of you that grew up in church. Let me talk to those of you that have been in Nashville for a long time where everything here seems to be Christian. Our radio stations, our universities, our chicken. We love Chick-fil-A. Everything here (laughs) is Christian. And can't they just be open on Sunday? We'd forgive them, right? Like, everything here is Christian. And we're we're sitting here going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We get this. And Jesus says, no, let me tell you one more story. He said, did you know it's possible to grow up your whole life in church and be lost? Did you know it's possible to spend your whole life leading house churches and small groups and serving and tithing and knowing all the right answers on the fill in the blanks test and to still have no idea what God's like? And there's that moment where the Lord says, a lot of you have gone missing and you've never even left the house. And I'm convicted that the spirit of God is wanting to just break off. This is, guys, this is the story of Nashville. If ever there was a religious city where we know all of the rules and all of the behaviors, but we've missed out on what it means to know God intimately, this is the city. And it's all month long, we've been praying that God would bring home the wanderers and the wounded and the rebels. God's looking at you this morning saying, and I'm ready to bring home the religious. I'm ready to pour out the spirit. I'm ready to do something in your life. And so the story picks up like this from last week. Remember, the younger son has rebelled. He's gone off to the distant country. He's done what he wasn't supposed to do and he comes home and he's expecting the father to treat him like a slave and he gets back and the father treats him like a son. And he throws this huge party and it picks up like this, verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field working and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And so I want you to just picture this. This is a Monday afternoon. You know, this was not a planned party. The father had not sent out save the dates. You know, this had not been on the calendar. It's just an ordinary day. The younger son comes home in his rebellion. The father says, hey, it is time to party. The son of mine that I thought was dead is alive. He's home. Let's celebrate. And I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of the older brother for a moment. It's a Monday afternoon. He's been working that job that he hates. And he's driving home through the neighborhood on a Monday afternoon. He sees all the cars lined up along the street. He goes, man, somebody's having a party. Like, it's not the BCS championship. Who throws a party on a Monday? Like, what's what's going on? And so he's, he's driving up to the house and he gets closer and closer and closer and realizes, whoa, those cars are at my house. 
what's going on? Did somebody die? Like, what, what has happened? Why is everybody here? And he opens up the door to the car, and immediately he just hears the music bumping. There's a DJ. It's Bruno Mars for sure being played, <laughs> you know? And uh, just the music is playing, and, and he, he smells. He smells the grill's been fired up, steaks from the grill. I just want you to imagine with me. You come home, and you're like, man, I thought it was just Monday. There's party. Music, there's... The, the grill is firing up. Maybe you're a vegetarian and you're not into meat. So just imagine you come home and the blender with kale is just. <laughs> and you got your kale smoothie and a side of sadness and you're just good. <laughs> and you come in and it's just a party. He hears the music and he, he smells the food and he gets out of the car and one of his coworkers is walking to the front door and he grabs him and says, hey, what's happening here? What's happening? And his coworker says, man, your brother, who we thought was dead, he came home today. And your dad's just throwing a killer party. And here's the problem. You live in Nashville, so you probably know the end of the story. And you've already filled in the blanks. But in any normal story, this is the moment where the brother falls on his knees. He begins to cry. He runs into the house to find his brother. He hugs his dad. But what does it say? Keep going with me in verse 28. It says, but the older brother became what? Angry. Say it with me. He became what? angry and he refused to go in. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And I was just reading that this week and I go, God, like, what is it? What is it about the older brother, like, that would cause him to respond to this moment of redemption like this? The Lord just said, it's just that religious spirit. He, he was lost. He had never left the father's house. And I think the religious spirit, it's dominated by a few factors. I'll just give these to you really quickly. It starts when we learn to obey all the rules. It continues when we learn how to fulfill all of our responsibilities. But the religious spirit is solidified when we get really good at neglecting our relationship with God. That is the religious spirit. I know the rules and I keep them. I know my responsibilities and I fulfill them. But when it comes to actually knowing God, I have no clue what he's like. And some of you have been in church your whole life. You go, I know all the right answers on the test. I know what, I know what to say, what not to say. Some of you were out last night doing things that you'd be humiliated if people in this room knew what you were doing. But you come into a place like this and you know exactly how to act. Someone's taught you the rules. You know, how to stand, how to sing, how to lift your hands, how to act. How, you, you, hey, how are you doing? I'm blessed. I'm like, you don't say that any other day of the week. <laughs> we use all these weird words. We come in here like somebody taught you. Here's the rules. And here's the responsibility. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray. I'm going to show up at house church and small group, and I'll be there on Sunday, and I, I know how to talk. But if you're really honest with yourself, if somebody asked you, hey, do you know God? Do you know what he's like? And you're like, I don't have a clue what he's like. I've never heard his voice. I've never felt his nearness. And, and here's the reality. The, the reason we choose religion over relationship is because religion is easier. It's so much easier to go, I did the three things I had to do today to prove to myself that I'm good with God. But here's what I'm asking for you, asking you is how's that working for you? In the innermost being of your heart is their joy. Is there freedom? Is there life? Is there peace? Is there hope? Or do you come in and you try hard and you strain? It's like white knuckle religion. I'm just going to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then and you go, I, I still don't know if I'm good with God. 
Like this is the spirit of religion that was binding the older brother. And here's what I see in this over and over and over. Like religion has this overemphasis on the external behaviors and an underemphasis on our internal development. And so in religion, we're like, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Well, he showed up at church last week and he did this and that. He must be doing good. In, in religion, you can keep all of the rules, which it's not bad to keep the rules. And it, you can fulfill all of your responsibility. It's not bad to fulfill your responsibility. But unless you allow those things to transform your inner being, there will be a day when it will be exposed for what it is. It's the reason we see this all over the country with these mega pastors, these personalities, incredible communicators, incredible teachers, right, best-selling books, all these conferences, their churches explode, 91 million people are getting saved every week. You, know, you look at it, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And then they crash and burn. It's like he's sleeping with his secretary, he's embezzling money. Why? Why does that happen? Because he's living in a culture, or she's living in a culture, where the culture worships external behavior while neglecting internal character. And anytime there's an overemphasis on your external performance and an undervaluing of who you're becoming, when there's this value of who, what are you doing versus who are you becoming, we become the older brother without even meaning to. I remember years ago moving to Nashville and my first, I moved here for college. Moved into the dorm on a Saturday, Saturday night, man. Uh, so many of these freshmen were just going out and doing what they do in college, and I remember the next morning showing up to church, I was just trying to find a church here in Nashville, and I show up, and all of these guys from my floor who had just been just leaning into total debauchery the night before they show up, and I thought, man, praise God, they're here, and then I realized they're not here because they're repentant. They're not here because they want God, and I'm not saying that judgmentally. This is what they told me. They were here because they're Southerners, and in the South, a lot of us just go, yeah, this is just what you do to get ahead. You go to church and you find your community, you keep the rules, you fulfill your responsibility and you never stop to ask. But do you know God? Do you know God? And the Spirit of God, listen, he's calling some of you out this morning just going, hey, do you, do you know me? Do you know me? In a world where we worship external performance and neglect internal growth and strength and character, older brothers abound. So he comes home and says he's angry and he refuses to go in. It keeps going like this, verse 28. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, listen, he doesn't even call him his brother. He's like, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. And so I just started asking the Lord, I'm like, Lord, how do we find ourselves in this place where we keep the rules and we fulfill our responsibilities, but we neglect our relationship? And the Lord says it happens because somewhere along the way, you start to believe a lie. You know, last week we looked at the younger son who went running into his rebellion and we said he went running into his rebellion because he believed the lie that if he wanted the good life, he had to leave the father's house. And the older brother, he believes some lies that put him in this place. I just wanna name a few of them. We could probably list 20 lies. But there's just a few that I see here in the story. And the first is this. Somewhere along the way, the older brother began to believe that he had to earn his keep to stay in the father's house. It's interesting to me that the son, the older brother, when we find him, he's out working in the field. He's doing what religious people know to do best. And that's work for God. 
Like we serve like crazy. Like, and when we screw things up at home, we serve even harder because we're trying to make things better, right? Like he serves like crazy. He knows all the right things to do, but he's not serving the father because he loves him. He's serving the father because he wants something from him. And this is the difference between somebody that's under the spirit of religion and somebody that's walking in a kingdom spirit-filled relationship with God. When you're under religion, you say, hey, I'm gonna serve God because of what he owes me, because I want him to give me. We use service as a tool of manipulation. But when we start walking in the spirit, we say, hey, God, I wanna serve you just because you're good and you love me and I love you. I think about when Sydney and I first got married, crazy about each other, love each other. We still are crazy about each other and love each other. But we were, we were learning how to be married together. And, uh, you know, we'd serve each other. We'd do things that, man, on the, on the surface, the externals of it looked beautiful. I'd be in there washing the dishes, you know, just being just a killer husband, just, oh, just <laughs> washing the dishes. And I'm doing the right thing externally, but internally, I'm just asking the question, hey, I wonder if she notices I've done this three nights in a row, <laughs> keeping tabs, right? Sydney would be over there cooking on the, on the outside. It's like, man how sweet, how kind, and she's thinking on the inside, man, I've cooked dinner every night because he can't cook and he's worthless, and I hope he's, <laughs> I hope he's noticing, and we would do the right external things, but the internal drive for why we were serving was broken. I remember one time in our first year of marriage, I took flowers to Sydney at work, and I went in and I dropped flowers off at her lunch hour. Uh, when I knew she wasn't there because she had a meeting, I went in and dropped the flowers off with the receptionist and left. And I walked out of the building and the Spirit of God said, Dave, how come you always take flowers there when you know Sydney's not there? You take them there because you know her coworkers will then brag on you for being a great husband. It's the right action, it's the wrong motive. It's possible to do all of the right things, to check all of the right boxes and to totally be lost in the Father's house, to not even know him. And this is what the older brother, he, he believes the lie. Hey, if, if I'm gonna have a place in this church, if I'm gonna have a place in this kingdom, I've got to earn my keep. I've got to work, I've got to serve. I, I've got to do this. But it's not just that he's got to earn his keep. Number two, he begins to believe the lie that the father's love is conditional. He begins to believe that the father's love is based upon his, his uh, ability to obey. This is what he says to the father. He says, hey, father, all these years I've slaved for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. How come you're not showing me the same affection you're showing my rebellious younger brother? Have you ever had one of those moments where you go, man, God, like you're not coming through. Why don't you love me the, the way that you seem to love everybody else? Think about one of my good friends who's not a follower of Jesus. He's been in kind of a rough spot spiritually. And a few months ago, he uh, had someone in his family who he wasn't very close to passed away and left him an outrageous inheritance, a sum of money. And he told me about it. And on, on the outside, I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. And then on the inside, I'm like, God, how come you don't love me enough to kill one of my rich relatives and give me, <laughs> give me an inheritance, you know? And, and uh, maybe you've never felt that way. Maybe you've never struggled that way. But I'm like, God, don't you see how hard I serve you? Don't you see how hard I like try to do the right thing? And, and how come Sydney and I have to work so hard to make ends meet? As if his love is built off of our obedience. And the father's like, no, I love you. And I love that guy at your work who's a total jerk. And I love your neighbor. And, and, and I love that kid at your kid's school who's a bully and everybody's trying to figure out. I love that kid. And, and, the, and the message of John 3, 16 is that for God so loved the what? The world. 
It wasn't for God so love the obedient. But that's the John 3, 16 that most of us believe. For God so loved the obedient that he gave his one and only son. No, for God so loved the world. He loved the world. In your absolute brokenness, when you've screwed it all up, when you've shipwrecked the marriage, when you've gone back to the addictive substance, when you can't fix it, God loves the world. But this spirit of religion and pride says, no, I've got to earn my keep. No, his love is conditional. Another lie that I'll give you is there's not enough of the Father's goodness to go around. It's not enough for me. That's what the older brother was defined by, like, like, what about me, what about me? You know, yesterday I was in my kitchen and one of my sons walks in and he wants a snack, so I give him a snack and about 20 seconds later, my two other sons come in right behind him and they see the snack and they go, ah, oh, no fair! And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean no fair? No fair that you're living in a house you didn't pay for? You're right, that's not fair. No fair that we spend the whole day doing what you want to do. You're right. No fair. I'm glad you live in this unfair life. They're like, no fair. Like, what about the snacks? And I'm like, dudes, how stupid are you? Like, I didn't say that. I was thinking that because I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> like, but I, I'm like, guys, do you really think there's just one snack in the cupboard? Do you think I'm that stupid that I just give one snack to one of you and then listen to the rest of you fuss at me the rest of the day? No, there's more where that came from. And me being good to your brother over here doesn't mean I, I can't be good to you. See, the older brother, this is the heart of religion, guys, where we believe that God's mercy towards someone else is robbing us of something he owes us. And the older brother comes home, he hears the music, he smells the party, and he refuses to go in. And Jesus looks out at the crowd, he says, some of you got lost because you wandered, some of you have been lost because you wounded, some of you have been lost because you run like rebels, and he says, and some of you are lost in your religion, and you do not know God. It's time to wake up. Here's what I love is it's not a story. It's not a story about a lost sheep or a lost coin or a rebellious son or a religious brother. It's a story about a great father. It's a story about a father that's better at finding you than you are at running. It's about a father that's better at restoring your life than you are at destroying your life. It's a father that in his affection for you, he melts your apathy for him and he shows up and he comes close. And he says, there's so much more. There's so much more for you right here and right now. And so I love this. The, the, the father shows up, and I want you to notice what the father does. He notices. He notices that one of his sons is missing from the party. In the midst of all the joy and the music, and he's flipping burgers, and he's cooking the steaks, he looks at it and goes, wait, where's my other son? And guys, you've got to hear this. All month long, we've seen this. Every single story, have you noticed that God is a God that notices? He notices every one of you that's gone missing. Guys, I say this with all love and with all tenderness and all affection. There are some of you, there are some of you in this room today that if Jesus were to return today and to put a bow on human history, you would be condemned to hell forever. Your good intentions, your good works, your best efforts, not enough to satisfy the reality of who you are and what you've done. Listen, the culture, even a bunch of churches in this city would tell you otherwise. I'm just, I'm just telling you, in love, in love, there are many of you that are lost. I was lost. I grew up a pastor's kid, totally lost. Went missing, never left the father's house. 
And for some of you, that's the story. But I want you to notice this. The Father notices you, he sees you, he loves you, and he cares. And the reason Jesus has not come and put a bow on human history and wrap this thing up, it's, it's what First Peter says, is he says, God is not slow as you understand slowness, but he's patient because he doesn't want any of his creation to perish. People go, man, how come God is, if there is a God, there's so much broken and pain and suffering, why would he allow that to go on? Because, because even the ones that are inflicting the pain and brokenness in the world are, are people that God wants to redeem. And he's patient. He notices the missing. He doesn't just notice. He goes to the missing. He goes out on the porch, sits down, pulls up a chair. Hey, bud, let's talk about this. And then he invites them in. Guys, I love this picture of God. Some of you have spent your whole life being lost. You spent 10 years rebelling, and in a moment, you can be found. And the father shows up, he sits on the porch, and he says, hey, I wanna invite you in, and I want you to notice the way he invites him in. He starts by speaking into his identity. He puts his arm around him, he says, hey, you're my son. Look at this in verse 31. He says, my son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. I love this moment. The father doesn't come out and say, why are you so prideful? Why are you so stupid? How could you have been in church so long and missed the point? The father puts his arm around his son and says, my son. This is the way that God melts the heart of religion. He comes at you in relationship. But it's not just this invitation into identity, it's an invitation into intimacy. Keep going in the verse. He says, he says, my son, you are always with me. The father says, listen, I'm not interested in your religious proximity. I'm not interested in your religious performance. I'm interested in relational intimacy. And just like God didn't want that kid to stay out on the porch and miss the party, he doesn't want you to show up at ethos for the rest of your life and to miss what it means to know God. It's an invitation into identity. It's an invitation into intimacy. And it's an invitation into abundance. <laughs> he says, everything I've always had is yours. See, this is one of the ways that you know you're religious because religious people believe, hey, if I can just hold on and not screw this up, maybe one day God will give me what I deserve. Maybe one day I'll get to heaven and things will work itself out. So that's the religious spirit. But when you're in a relationship, you start going, oh my goodness, my heavenly father, he knows me, he loves me, he's the king of all things, and everything he has is mine for the taking right here and right now. Love, joy, peace, patience, power, provision, kindness, grace, like all of these things. He says, it's yours for the taking, and a lot of us, we're like the older brother working in the field trying to earn our keep, believing that if we follow the rules and walk out our responsibility, that somewhere along the way it'll pay off. And the father says, no, I want you to know that everything I have is yours for the taking right here and right now. Amen. And the story ends with this painful cliffhanger. It gets to the end. The father lays down the invitation. Then Jesus wraps it up and says, all right, guys. And you can almost hear the folks in the crowd going, whoa, does the brother go in? <laughs> Does he go into the party? And Jesus just looks at him and he says, hey guys, only you can finish the story. The question is, do you come into the party? He's looking out at the religious leaders and he's, hey, does he go in? I'm asking you, will you come in? Or will you keep living in this self-induced prison 
called religion. And the cliffhanger becomes the invitation for us. You know, all month long, that's what we've been praying. We've just been saying, God, would you bring every one of your kids home? Whether they've wandered like sheep, maybe they've been wounded like a coin, maybe they've run like a son, maybe they have stayed in your house, they've been in church, they've been serving you like crazy, but they're lost in their religion. Would you bring every single son and daughter home to you this month? And so we've been praying, that's what we've been praying for, and it's been amazing every week, these stories keep rolling in. 10 days ago, it was a week ago this past Wednesday, uh, this, this guy shows up, his name's Ronnie. He shows up at this church out in Antioch, he knocks on the door, in the afternoon, knocks on the door. Nobody's there except for one person that was working in the office. And they said, hey, how can I help you? And he says, hey, I just need somebody to tell me about Jesus. I've got to get my, my life right with God. My friend who works at the church, he was the guy that answered the door. He's like, man, this is what we've been praying for all month, but it surprised me when it happened. This guy shows up, he's like, okay, come on in. Let me tell you about Jesus. So he starts telling this guy about Jesus. They start studying through the gospel of Mark. The guy says, man, I want to, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I'm ready to be baptized. Andrew's like, man, this is crazy. It's blowing my mind. When do you want to be baptized? Ronnie said, I want to be baptized right now. Can you baptize me right now? And so this is a picture. They went in and they, they baptized Ronnie. Four days later, on Sunday morning at that church, Ronnie's family showed up. And they showed up and they were looking for the guy that baptized them. They said, hey, we're trying to find the guy that baptized Ronnie, can, can you help us out? And they find Andrew, and Andrew said, yeah, I baptized Ronnie, how can I help you? And they said, on Friday, Ronnie died unexpectedly. None of us saw it coming. And they said, hey, we've all gotta get right with Jesus. And the family comes to the Lord. On Thursday of this week, just a couple of days ago, I get a phone call from Andrew, the guy that's in the baptizing, he said, hey, we've gotta find out who's been praying for Ronnie and his family all month. So we, you know, we have these packets, we have them traced, we know which church has been praying, and we found out that Ronnie's name is in, in the packet that it went out to two different churches. So somebody at Cross Point has been praying for him this last month, and somebody this morning here at Ethos has been praying for him all month. And I told this story at the nine o'clock, she came up and said, I've been praying for that dude. And here's what's crazy, we've been praying for the city, but do you know the city's also been praying for you? <laughs> And the Lord says, man, I want to bring you home, guys. I want to bring you home. It's time to come home. Whether you're a wanderer, whether you've been wounded, whether you're a rebel, or you're stuck in religion, the Spirit of God saying, hey, God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you, and he raised for you. And he says, and I want to make you right. So let's not get caught up in what it is that made, made us lost. Let's surrender to the one that is helping us be found. And so I, I wanna invite you tonight, tonight at five o'clock. I mean, this is your night. There's some of you that go, man, I, I didn't even know I was lost. And I'm a little embarrassed about it. And I don't wanna admit that, but I go, hey, listen, don't let the pride of trying to appease other religious people keep you from what it is that God's wanting to do in your life. Come back tonight. Be baptized tonight. Turn to God tonight. Don't let tonight end without you following Jesus. Like in your seat is these baptism cards. I encourage you, fill one of those cards out. Come find me in a moment. I'll be at the respond banner. We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to answer any questions you have. For some of you, maybe you're not lost, but somebody that you know and love is lost. Like, oh man, come over to the respond banner. We'd love to pray. 
We love to pray because we believe these stories are happening all over the city that God's moving. And for the rest of you, I'd say every week this month, we've read these stories and the story ends with God going out and inviting his friends to come into the party. And I say, hey, guys, can we just make sure that tonight we're not celebrating baptisms from your couch as you're watching Netflix? Can we just come back? Can we just welcome in what God is doing? Let's celebrate together. Let's say, okay, God, we wanna be a part of the story that you're writing. And so uh, I wanna invite you to come back tonight. Get here early, pray over the room, pray this afternoon for what God is moving. And those of you that are ready to respond, tonight's your night. We're gonna cheer you on. We have everything you need. We'll walk you through it. So I wanna invite you to stand up with me right now. I wanna pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would drive out the spirit of pride and religion and moral conformity. That God, you drive out the spirit that would cause us to be so obsessed with external performance that we ignore the internal brokenness. God, would you give us the ability to just raise our hand, to just step in the water tonight and say, man, I'm the one. I'm the one. And God, would you give the rest of us the ability to celebrate with heaven? God, make us the kinds of places where wandering sheep and wounded coins and rebellious sons and religious brothers Make us the kind of place where everybody can come home because we all know that we need you, Jesus. God, this morning right now, would you just illuminate whatever's happening in the hearts of the people that are in the room, whether they're Christians or not. God, would you illuminate what's from you? Would you show us what's from you? And whatever else is just, you know, from something other than you, God, help us to ignore it. And God, give us the courage to respond tonight, to respond this morning, uh, however you'd see fit. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.